Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 41 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. Outstanding. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Angela Peake. And what's Angela's story? Well, she talks about the losses and the wins of receiving a kidney donation twice. Wow, that's a very unusual situation to be in. And does the porcupine feature in this episode? Not a hint. Oh, that's a shame. Let's listen to Angela's story. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. And I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. So today I'm delighted to be chatting with Angela Peake, a long-time oncology nurse who is now supporting other healthcare professionals who identify as having a disability. Angela has gone through several kidney transplants herself, the earliest when she was just 22, following a few years of declining health. Whilst these transplants clearly gave her life, they also brought about loss, some of which hasn't become evident until much later in life. So welcome along, Angela. Thank you, Rachel. It's been lovely to see you today. It was lovely to be here. Oh, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about the experience of losing a kidney and also gaining a kidney um, and the loss that came with that. So you were about 17 when you started experiencing health issues, I understand. And that would have been a time when you were looking forward to and approaching adulthood with dreams and plans for the future and that plan wouldn't probably I imagine have included sort of being bogged down with health issues so maybe that's a good place to start what was going on for you at that time? Um, yeah 17 you know life in front of me lots of plans didn't know what I wanted to do but you know I'd got lots of plans anyway um, and you know, one of those plans was to become a radiographer within the hospital and went for a a, a test checkup. And they found that I'd got protein in my urine, uh, which was, so they asked me if I was pregnant. I definitely wasn't pregnant. And and um, it went from there, basically. Um, they found that I'd got some renal function problems and my kidneys weren't as functioning as well as they uh, could have been. And actually, I had a really small kidney, and that was obviously something from from birth. Um, and so, in many ways, I didn't actually feel too unwell. Right. So there weren't sort of any symptoms as such that you were experiencing. I think when when I look back now, you start to realise some of the things that may well have been part and parcel of of that, um, but actually didn't particularly associate at the time. Um, and so you know, really in many ways tried to just carry on and, and do whatever I wanted to do. Um, I trained as a nurse. I knew I got renal uh, problems, but had no concept, even training as a nurse, as bizarre as that might sound. Um, I had no concept of what might be my future when it came to my renal disease. 
Um, I just knew it was a chronic disease. I never considered transplantation. I never considered dialysis. I knew those things happened, but to me, <laughs> no, no, that was never going to happen to me. Um, so I carried on. I became a nurse and I met my wonderful husband and we got married um, and I fell pregnant. And when I fell pregnant, my kidneys packed in completely. Oh, gosh. Um, so all the time that I was going through my pregnancy, I was being monitored by the the oncology by the renal team and also by the sorry oncology is on my head yeah uh, sure <laughs> renal team and by the the gynae team to to make sure everything was okay um but everything was in many ways uh but at my uh after a few months they started to realize that my my um i was a lot further forward in my pregnancy than i should be by measurement and they realised that my my because of my kidney function, I was, I was developing a lot of fluid. Uh, so my son was born three months premature because of that. Oh gosh! So at the point of my son being born three months premature, um, was seriously on while in in hospital on a ventilator. My kidneys had packed in altogether at that point. So I'd finished work um, as a staff nurse on a busy medical assessment unit in the um in the December time and my son should have been born in May um but he was born in the February early February and because of my um kidney problems I was just really really unwell all the way through pregnancy and the it was a bit bizarre and this is going to sound really cruel but it felt like I'd had the alien once he was born I felt <laughs> but what I, I didn't I did appreciate, but my priorities were not at that point myself. They were our son. Of course. Of, of the future I had in, in store. Um, so I ended up on dialysis at that point. Um, well, it, it took a while to get onto dialysis. It's, how things are done now are very different to the way things were done then. Um, the sudden deterioration of my kidneys because of the pregnancy um, I probably would be dialysed much sooner now than I would have than I time. But I was very reluctant to go on to dialysis. I just wanted my son out of hospital. I wanted him well and I wanted to be there for him. And I couldn't prioritise myself at the time. But there was a point at which I had to. So we spent a long time. I was on dialysis, my son on oxygen. He was on oxygen for two and a half years. Um and my first transplant came when he was quite tiny. He was two. He was quite tiny. Um, but it, it was growing really well for a child that was born three months premature. Um, and having had the opportunity of that transplant, and by no means that was a, that was just a massive, massive thing to to have. You've got somebody who's decided in life that they want to donate a kidney or they want to donate organs and in death and usually a very sudden death and an early death um i then was the one that had the opportunity of having life that was difficult to deal with God, yes it's a real um well, it's a bittersweet thing isn't it as you say, somebody has lost their life 
and as a result of that you have you know hopefully regained some of yours I regained so much and I and I think anybody out there this is a this is a, a bid for people to be on the transplant uh to to be transplant donors simply because the the actual what that did to me at a young age gave me the opportunity of understanding how unwell I was but actually that I had a future mm. and that transplant helped me do that my son saw me in a way that he'd never seen me before because since birth he'd known me attached to dialysis or yeah. in all of those sorts of things. So to see me in the way and be able to be fitter and healthier, to be able to look after him and, you know, enjoy his life was just such a blessing, such an absolute blessing. Unfortunately, that transplant didn't last too long. So those optimism was was really fabulous, but it didn't last as long as we would have liked it to have done. Is that because of a rejection from your body? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they never really know. For some time, some uh, as as we've moved on now, we progressed so much further than we had done at that point. Um, you're talking in the the early nineties. The medications have improved and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, that what we do now from a genetic point of view is, is absolutely completely different to what we did in the, in right. the past. So the, the matching of transplants is very different. And and, um, and knowing that the, the, the recipient and the donor match really well is a massive thing. Um, it lasted brilliantly for a short space of time. Um, but then it began to fail. But what it did for me was it switched my brain on. I didn't realise quite how much it had switched off, but it switched my brain on. It helped me to then go out and do things like going, thinking about going back to work. I was a qualified nurse and I wanted to do that. Mm. Um, and it was just, it was lovely. But actually, I grieved for somebody. I never knew yeah. anything about them. I did write to my donor family, but that, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what that's like to receive that letter. I just hope it was something that they could see and cherish at that time because I was in such a fabulous place. They were grieving for their yeah. love. Um, and that really is such a such a different space to be. But I, I I wasn't that wasn't lost on me, and I did grieve for somebody that I never knew. Mm. Did that, you feel that as part of the you know having that person's kidney? Did you have a sense of them? My vision of that individual is, and I have no idea if this is right or not. They were six foot six rugby player. Because the transplant was so big, I had to um, put a, I'm only five foot and a fag end, I'm five foot one. So oh, goodness. I, I used to have to put the a, a pillow underneath the transplant to support it because it felt so heavy. Because when you have a, a kidney transplant, they don't take your old kidneys out, which sit in the back of your body. Oh, okay. Um, they replace the kidneys. And they attach them at the front. So they this it sits at the front of your body. 
Oh wow, I never knew that. Yeah. I yeah, I assumed that they would they would whip the uh the one that wasn't working out and yeah. and replace it. Both kidneys won't be working to be on dialysis or to 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 be um requiring a transplant. Your kidney function is so low. Um so neither kidney is working. If you've got one really well functioning kidney, then everything's fine. And yeah. even functioning so well you can you can cope with one uh but when both are not not functioning well then um that that's that's the time that you really do start to have problems so yeah they transplanted into the into the front um and so i used to have to put a pillow underneath to to support it at first because it felt so heavy i did have a a sort of made up not made up i just felt like that that's who this person was um, as I say, I never knew that, but I will always be eternally grateful to them, but also their families, because it's such a massive thing at that point. Yeah. I see what how difficult life can be when you're in the throes of an emergency situation, um, an unexpected emergency situation. Yeah. Um, and to have the courage to be able to say, yes, we will do this. Even if they know it's the person, their loved one's wishes, which at that point you would have to be on the donor register. Um, it has changed slightly now. Yes, but you I, have to opt out now, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So the so the the and I think most people I think most people would were actually, are actually very happy with that. But that was a bit of a challenge for me because I received my transplant knowing that that individual wanted to give it. Mm. And that at the time really, really helped me in that grieving process. Um, and I did grieve, you know, I thought about them on a regular basis, but didn't have a vision of their life, but just knew what they'd done in death was so powerful. Yeah as I say, will always be eternally grateful. Yes, that transplant didn't keep with me forever, um, but we know that's the risks of transplanting. Mm. But unfortunately, that's still the, the case. Um, Gave but, you precious years with your son when he was little, though. Absolutely precious years. Years that I was never sure I would have. I... I brought my son up with a very certain knowledge in my own head that he had to be independent because I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I could be in hospital. And this actually happened to him when I had the transplant. I had a phone call to say, we've got a transplant for you. He was in bed. We had to get one of the neighbours. He did know the neighbours. It's not as if he didn't know them. Uh, to come down and and be there for him when he when he got up and uh and just be able to you know for him to to be able to go to somebody else very suddenly and know that mom's in hospital that everything's okay of course because it's the the unexpectedness for you as well isn't it of of receiving it yeah I couldn't live my life thinking it could be tomorrow, it could be tomorrow, it could be tomorrow. I just had to live my life going, I've got to live my life. Yeah. And I was fortunate to be able to do that with the family I had, with the friends, my husband, 
And we'd only been married, and this is really, this is one of the big cruxes of, of the loss that I've felt. Loss for a lot of people is, is something of, of losing somebody. But for me, it was very much, and this is more in hindsight than, than realising it at the time. We got married. We knew that I got a kidney problem, but really had no concept of that. So we had plans. My husband was going to look after any children that we had. I was going to go out and earn money as a nurse. I loved my job and I, I loved what I did. And I wanted to progress the career ladder within nursing. Um, and that was my ambition. That was our ambition together. Um, and we were married in the April. And by the end of, uh, by 12 months, our son had been born three months premature and I was in renal failure. So our first wedding anniversary, we actually went to a wedding in Wales, but that was the first, first time we'd been away. Uh from the sort of August time when I actually fell pregnant. And uh, the first time we'd been away was sort of 12 months later, our first wedding anniversary, our son was in hospital and I was on dialysis. Mm. Yeah, it's that, it's the loss, isn't it, of all those future plans together as a as a married couple. Yeah. Did I think about that at the time? No. No. I can relate in some way to that because um, my husband, he'd had cancer as a child. So, you know, we knew that, you know, there was potentially a risk that it could come back again. Um, and but, you know, it was just like, well, like, well, I knew he had it. But, you know, he was you know young, fit, strapping young man. So, you know, that that wasn't in our future. And. Yeah, very similar to you. We got married in the May, and by the uh, by the November, he was starting to show symptoms that it was or that something wasn't right, at least. Um, yeah, and by our first wedding anniversary, you know, biopsies, and you know, we were then on that on that sort of cancer journey, if you like. So I always felt that there were there was the three of us in the in our marriage. So, yeah, so I do, you know, it's it, it's it just casts a very different perspective on married life, doesn't it? When you are suddenly faced with, yeah. with a debilitating illness or condition for either one of you. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and I do. I remember saying this to my husband. If you want to walk away, walk away. Mm. You didn't sign up for this. And he just looked at me as if I was nuts. Um, we've now been married 33 years-ish, or something like. Um, and he's been an absolute rock. But so many relationships would not have withstood mm. what we've been through. It was, and especially in those first 12 months, you know? It yeah. was such a difficult time they told me I wouldn't get pregnant eventually when they, they said to said to me you do realize you won't get pregnant don't you it's like like as if you couldn't google things in those days you know I'd have googled everything now but in those days you didn't so it's you were reliant on the healthcare professionals to tell you what you needed to know and I think there was often a, a uh, an assumption 
I was a student nurse or I was a nurse qualified. And uh, I, there was an assumption that um, I knew, I knew yeah. these. And you know, that wasn't what, what I did. That wasn't, I'd never worked in, in a renal area because it was not part of the nurse training. Um, so I, it was only cursory information that I knew and understood. Um, so no, I didn't know those those ins and outs of details. So they told me I wouldn't get pregnant. We got married in the April. I was pregnant by the August. Um, so that was a bit of a... Proved oh, them wrong, yeah. <laughs> this, I don't know if this is what's going to happen. Because that was that was fabulous. It was not necessarily as you know as we may have planned it if we were planning things. But well, that that hey ho, that was where we were. Um, so so yeah, life flipped upside down uh, completely in so many ways. Um, and those plans, those thoughts, those that vision of your future. I don't think you realise quite how powerful that is um, at the time. I certainly didn't. And I didn't quite appreciate the impact for my future mm. of not grieving that loss. That's taken me a long, long time to get to. And as times change, things moved on. I became a coach fairly, you know, a few years ago. Um, that's the point at which it started to, you know, I started to look and think about that time and how much that actually ultimately impacted on me, my whole future. But because I'd never seen it that way, because I'd never looked at it and realised the impact at that time, um, I've not dismissed it. You just live it. You just live your life. Yeah. You just get it. It is like, that's it. It's been thrown at you. Okay, we've got two choices here, either sink or swim. Yeah, yeah. And so you don't have the time, opportunity, inkling, any of those things at that point to think, I'm grieving the loss of not being coming a ward manager or a ward sister it was at the time, or a matron. And, you know, I didn't even think twice about it. I, I, I lived the life that I was living. But actually the impact of that in the future came came to me that how much that had actually affected me. So there was a big loss of so many things because my husband's loss of what his thoughts were, yeah. lots of kids. He'd been in a previous relationship where that wasn't going to happen. So it was the thoughts of, you know, we could have children and you know, however many we had, we had sort of thing. Um, that went out of the window. We were very, very fortunate to have our son, who's 31 years of age now, who's exceptionally well um, and, you know, living his own dream. And that's fabulous to be able to say, because we might not have been saying that, because our life may have been very different with a child that was born three months premature. Of course, yes. Yeah. So he hasn't, he doesn't have any renal issues? No, it's, it's strange, really, but, uh, well, it, we never found out a reason behind the, the we, we knew what the renal problem was, basically, like, it's recurrent urine infections, although... I never realised I had them. Right. 
So the damage was being done on a regular basis, but I didn't realise, although I'd, I used to get a lot of throat infections and things, so I had a lot of antibiotics as a child for that reason. Mm. And I do wonder whether that has sort of masked the problems, if you like. But with that masking of that, then the damage was being done and it wasn't until later life that um, actually finding out at that point that I did didn't feel particularly a great thing to have happened. But actually, yes, it was because I could have gone into renal failure suddenly, had no idea at all. And that would have been quite a catastrophic situation, whereas at least I was being monitored. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at least they they knew they knew from the the very beginning. So so it could have been I got to a pregnancy. If I'd have not decided to go into the healthcare profession and had medical tests and things like that done, they may never have found those things. No. Yeah, it's funny how life works out like that, isn't it? That these things happen and you can look back and go, well, yeah, maybe and maybe that's why. I think I've always been the sort of person to try and find the positives out of something. And if I've not liked something, then it's down to me to change it. Um, And so, you know, I took the positives out of it. It didn't necessarily feel like that at the time. Um, But, you know, we we got on with our lives and we, we lived life really well. The transplant failed, um, and then when once the transplant had failed, I was back on dialysis. Mm. Couldn't that it, must have been hard having been on it and then had the freedom of being off it whilst you had the the first transplant and then ending back there. You have that. It's it's a loss again. Yeah. It's the physical loss of ill health. I found it really tough at 22, 24 years of age to to rely on other people. Mm. Really tough. Yeah. That's Especially not- when you've gone into something like nursing where, you know, you are, it's it's in you, you know, to, to be able to want to help other people. Absolutely. You know, I used to lie in the hospital bed and, and nurse everybody around me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was another loss again. You know, you I grieved for somebody who's who'd had the courage to the family had had the courage to give me their their transplant, their their, their that that organ that I you know wanted to honour them in so many ways mm. with a life that would be fit for for the fact that they'd done what they'd done. Um, so you grieve that loss. You grieve again that future that you were, you know, planning to go back to work. I was planning to get back into the role that I loved. Um, and that all went out of the window again. Again, it, it's like my body had a bit of um, a self-preservation mechanism. Uh, my brain would switch off. So it didn't, I didn't go into those thoughts of, oh, my God, what's happening? Uh, You know, I I didn't really go into those areas. It was just happening, and I just had to get on with it. And my brain didn't um, just didn't go to those places, uh, which could have taken me into some real depths of despair. Mm. 
you know, my son was born premature. He was, <clears throat> he was had to be resuscitated. We had to resuscitate my son at home. Um, he ended up in hospital a number of times because of his his, his lung condition. And you know, there were so many times I could have been in such deep despair. And I can only say that the people around me, and I have a faith, and that faith really was was kept me going at that time. You know, I believe I have guardian angels around me. I believe some of those guardian angels are people that I've known. Um, and before I had that first transplant, my uh, a very good friend of ours had died. He was like a second dad to me. Uh, so any any future husbands had to be vetted by him as well as my own dad and my own family. Um, and we lost him. And uh, that was a really difficult time. And we'd had um, a celebration of his life. And the next day, I received a phone call to tell me I got a transplant. So I truly believe that he had something to do with that. So we were very fortunate in many ways with the support we had and and those things kept us going. There's no two ways about it, but those things kept us going. My son being as well as he was and kept on the trajectory that he did, kept us going. He went to mainstream school and and, and was just a lovely, lovely lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, proud mom moment. <laughs> um so you know that that's how our life was for a while again. We were on I was on dialysis. I was sort of quite used to it. So we could be on holiday, we could be on the beach. Um I'd go back to the car and do my dialysis there. because uh, I was doing peritoneal dialysis that I I did at home or wherever I was. And you know we did all of those things. We went away, we went abroad. Uh, but I did those things because I had the support around me. Mm. Oh, wow, that's amazing that you were able to, to do so much. I Certainly my experience of knowing people who have been on dialysis is that they, you know, they literally are having to go to hospital three, four times a week and, and spend the whole day there. Mm. Um, but they have been, you know, incredibly sort of poorly by that stage. So, yeah, and I think that's that's again that's technology, and you know I ended up in oncology research, and to know what research does um, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so to be able to do those things gave me the options of a more normal life, if you like. If I yeah. was going out to dialyze three times a week, um, the impact of that on family, on my son especially trying to have as much of a normal life as possible, although his life was never really normal from the day he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you try and do... I always try to do everything I could to just just continue to be involved in life because um, we never knew what was going to happen. You know, I was fortunate to get a transplant but no one knew that was going to happen again. So towards the late 90s, um they were talking about live donor transplantation and the live donor transplantation um was something we went and looked into but my dad's blood group uh was sort of passed down to my two brothers my mum had had cancer 
Um, so there was nobody that were family related that were that were able to donate to right. me. Right. Um, so my husband got tested and he was um a match. Oh. And in those days there was a five point compatibility match. Mm-hmm. And we were four point compatible. Five point compatibility is identical twins. Oh my goodness. So to have actually to for that to have happened, and people used to ask me, in fact still do when I tell them, they they say, Oh, did you know that when you married him? And I said, Yes, I had him all blood tested before oh, yeah. I <laughs> know that before I married him. Um but you know, and he just said, I'll do it. Oh, bless him. And that was such a that was such a massive, massive thing. It it always felt as if he he just well that you know there was there was no other that was going to happen and that was it. There was no thought about it. He obviously thought about it, but there was no sort of question of the fact that he was going to donate if he could. Mm. Was that something you know the the live donations? Was that something that was just kind of coming into, you know, that people were able to do that. So presumably that wasn't an option, you know, sort of 10 years earlier or so. Yeah, it was It was something that was being done uh, abroad, especially I think it was Norway, we're quite forward. In, right. There was a lot of live donations of re- relatives. So you'd get a mother or a father donate to a child. Yeah. Yes, or a brother or a sister donating, but to donate from non-related donors was in its infancy in in many ways. Mm. We met uh, a number of people at the time that uh, had had non-related donors, and um, you know it was often at the point where it was desperation for them. Yeah, because there was no no other option. I remember meeting a lady who had had a, a donor transplant from her husband, um, but she couldn't even dialyze because she because of the problems that she has. Dialysis caused major problems with you with your system, uh, especially hemodialysis and the peritoneal dialysis. You can only do if you if, in certain circumstances. So that's the the hemodialysis is the one that often people end up having. Right. Um, and she was in a situation where she wasn't able to dialyze anymore. Mm. So that would mean that she would not be alive for much longer. And her husband, they said, we're going to do it. But, you know, they, they were offering to do the transplant. She was well enough at that point to do. And that's obviously a, a, another big factor. Yes. Yeah. They did the transplant, and it was an absolutely phenomenal success. Oh, wow. So that gave us a lot of hope. Yes, yeah. Um, I had, I did have a, a family member offer me a, a transplant who was the same blood group as I was, but he was a cousin, and, um, you know, we, we got on... We, we always say we're like brother and sister. Um, we live a, a long way apart from each other, but when we meet up, it's like meeting my brother. And he offered his kidney to me. But, I, you know, I just could not have taken that from him 
And then if he had to do something like that for his own children or his own brother or, you know, someone within his very close family, he wouldn't have been able to do that mm. for me. And I didn't want to take that opportunity away from him. And, of course, there's a risk to it. Yes, of course. Of course. Um, so, yeah, my husband can uh had all the tests there's a lot of testing that needs to be done um and uh, we decided to have the transplant when james was at school our son was at school simply because it meant then his he was being looked after and supported by family but he'd also got school to go to yeah yeah um and he was he was nine years of age at that point so both parents tootled off to the hospital in Birmingham, which is probably about 60 miles away from home. And um, so it wasn't even on our doorstep because he'd stopped doing transplantation in our local hospital. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, my husband went down to theatre first and then I went down second. I did say to him, if you get to theatre and you decide you cannot do this, then you don't. You have to just not do it because you can't live your life regretting doing it. Yeah, yeah. And all he said to me was, what would I tell your mother? How <laughs> 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 would I tell your mother that I've not gone through it? <laughs> so fortunately, you did go through with it. I went down to theatre after. And, um, yeah. We're 22 years in now. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And has that has that changed your relationship? Has it changed our relationship? It can't not change the relationship, but I was very conscious of the fact it could have changed the relationship for the worse. Yeah. My husband had never been in hospital for an operation. And in fact, I don't think he'd ever been in hospital. He actually didn't like hospitals till he met with me. He married a nurse and uh, our son was born premature. So he rapidly got used to oh, yeah, yeah. hospitals. Um, we were fortunate. Everything went really well from an, from a, an operation point of view. It took him a long time to recover. Mm. It, Three months before he was really ready to go back to work again. And we got on with our life. We had the opportunity then to do so much of the things that we'd always wanted to do, but had been held back by dialysis. So it brought us so much closer. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose to a degree, once you sort of got over that sort of initial stage where I suppose you, your body might have rejected it or it would have become apparent that for some reason it wasn't compatible, um, it then gave you back or took away the uncertainty that 
whilst you said you weren't kind of living thinking or is the you know am I going to get a transplant today or not you know you just got on with your life you know unconsciously I would imagine that would still have been you know it it was there wasn't it it was that sort of uncertainty of, of not knowing you know how how long it would be if if ever at all or you know how how your health would you know how long that would could be maintained for so that you could still do all of the things that you were doing at that point yeah there's there's that uncertainty is always there and and again I think that's something that I didn't always particularly think about um yeah I got on with my life but actually I do absolutely fully recognize now the impacts that that has had on me um but it gave us the opportunity to 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 move forward we we were very very close anyway our son being premature was something that really again brought us very much closer mm. All of the things that could have split us apart actually just bonded us together. Yeah, I was going to say because the you know the the stress of having a, a a premature baby, you know, it's it doesn't necessarily bring people together. Is it? It's you know it's an additional stress which might just be the uh, you know the beginning of the end of a of a relationship potentially just because of the strain that everybody is under. And the strange thing is, and this might, if anybody's sort of experienced this situation, will probably understand it, but for others it might sound a bit strange. I, I had the opportunity to live life again in a way that I hadn't done since before we got married, really. Well, when we got married. And that could have been something that could have split us up. Because my husband's a very supportive, caring person. But also he wanted me to live my life. Whereas some relationships, they they work on the premise of that person needing to be looked after, mm-hmm. needing to be cared for. And when that person no longer needs that care in that same way and needs that support their partner finds that very, very hard to deal with because yeah. they meet them in the same way. Yeah, it's a, a, a shift in the dynamics of the relationship, isn't it? Absolutely. And that I have seen people on dialysis. I know people that have been on dialysis that have had transplantation. That split them up mm. because that person then is no longer the caregiver in the way that they have got so used to that's that's become their role in life and they find it very very difficult that the the person that they were caring for now is able to go and do their own thing and don't need them in that same way i'm not saying that they never don't need them but they just don't need them in the same way yeah yeah and it's it's very much that that has caused breakups of relationships but again, I was very fortunate because he was going to support me regardless, whatever I wanted to do. So I wanted to go back to work. Um, and 12 months to the day of having the transplant, 
I started a return to nursing course. What did that feel like? It was quite um it was quite unbelievable really to think that only 12 months previously because in the grand scheme of things that really wasn't grand scheme of things that really wasn't a long time. It was quite phenomenal to walk through the door and think I'm gonna be the nurse again that I always love to do a job that I always loved doing. I was able to even think about going back and working within the NHS. In you know, the NHS and working on on a ward has never been not busy. It's a, just another level now. But uh, but the thought of being able to do that and be able to maintain, I couldn't go back to work full time. I wasn't well. I wasn't able to do that. Um, but I was able to go back to work, and I went back to work three days a week, and I worked all shifts and I did nights and I did all those things so I, I just did my job to the to the full and that was just to be able to give and it felt like giving back as well yeah. it was just such a privilege and to be able to 22 years down the line <laughs> say you know I'm still a healthcare professional I'm still a registered nurse, and I could not have done that without the people that have been in my life that have, have enabled me to do that. That's just such a privilege. And do you think having gone through sort of that period of, of time when you weren't able to work, do you think that changed the way that you nursed when you came back? Did it give you perhaps sort of more insight as to, to what it feels like to, to be on the, the patient side of the bed. Yeah, absolutely. I, every day that I work, and whether that be in the role that I'm doing now, which is a very different role, I'm not working on the wards, but every day that I've worked, my experience of my own ill health has been used to support other people because I've been able to physically put myself in their position. I might not be experiencing what they're experiencing, but I've experienced something that is very much on par with where they are. And, you know, spoken to in a way that you really wouldn't want healthcare professionals to speak to, to patients, but it happens. And I've been there. I understand that. So, you know, I absolutely empathize with every patient that I've ever worked with but it's been I, I've 99% of the time they never know anything about my background I've said things to them because I've experienced it and they've I, I remember chatting it was not long after I'd started really I suppose it was about 12 months after I'd started back to nursing I just started on a new ward. I was working on oncology for the first time and I loved working there. And I remember chatting to this elderly gentleman and his wife and they were going home. He, he'd been in and I had whatever done he'd done. And he we were chatting away and he was um, saying how he how things had been and, and sort of unexpectedly felt like he'd done. And I described to him how he felt 
and his wife burst into tears. And she said, I thought he was making these things up. And she said, how do you know that? And he was just stunned that I could describe to him. Mm. And must have felt very validated himself. Yes, absolutely. And I said, uh, I said, well, I've just nursed people that have, have been through it. So they, they've explained to him how it's felt. And I thought, no, I've been there. Mm. I know what it feels like, physically feels like, to feel like you do. And how that impacts on your your body. Yeah. One of the things was he would he would be he would be absolutely fine and then all of a sudden he'd be completely worn out and he would have to sit down and his wife's like, Why? What have you done? You know, or what what's but his body just couldn't keep him up any longer. So he'd have to go and he'd have to sit. And he couldn't explain that to her and she couldn't explain she couldn't understand it. Mm. But by a third party saying to them, this is what can happen because of the condition you have, just absolutely helped her to understand and, as you say, validated the experience that patient was having. Because actually sometimes you do think you're going a bit nuts. So it was it was such a phenomenal experience to be able to to, to be able to do that and support people in that way. Yeah. And now with your work, you're now supporting other health professionals yeah. that identify as having a disability. So that, again, is, I guess, another area where you are able to use your own personal experience. Absolutely. You know, those the thing when... I, I love love healthcare professionals. They're absolutely phenomenal. Their knowledge is unbelievable. And many have been through so much themselves that mm. bring that into their work. But some people have never actually experienced being in a hospital bed. And I hope they never do. But because they've not experienced it, you don't quite understand the nuances of health care, of of challenges. And because I've lived that life, and I remember when I went back to to, uh, nursing, I actually went to work on the renal unit and it was, uh, I wanted to do my return to nursing on that area and they were happy to take me. But I do, I I was challenged by a couple of healthcare professionals. Mm. And one in particular said to me, um, but you're not a renal nurse. I said, no, you're absolutely right. I don't have the qualifications that you have as a renal nurse, but I have something that you don't have. I've lived renal failure and dialysis for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I said, in as much as you can do exams and you can have knowledge experience and and listen to other people so you walk away after a shift you don't live that life Mm. you don't live the problems that you experience the challenges you experience people would challenge me because I got a disabled badge because I didn't look ill I didn't, you know, I could walk around, I, but and people would challenge me because I had a disabled badge. 
the fact that I could probably do 100 yards and that would be it. And I'd have to stop. Yeah. And that was on a good day. But because I looked okay when I got out of the car, they found that it was okay for them to challenge me. So they don't, you know, healthcare professionals don't live that life if they don't have a long-standing condition themselves. And I guess having that lived experience just gives you that whole different level of um, empathy, understanding yeah. for your yeah for your patients, and perhaps to be able to share that amongst your healthcare colleagues who haven't had that experience. We are wonderful in the NHS, and I know people will have had difficulties um, at times, and I know it's challenging at the moment even getting a, a GP appointment. I don't underestimate any of those things. But on the whole, the vast majority of healthcare professionals will turn themselves inside out for a patient. Yeah. And it can be quite sad when you see the fact that they forget that their own colleagues can have health conditions and they don't treat them with the same support, empathy, understanding, compassion even, that they would treat a patient. Mm. So the role I have now is to be able to support healthcare professionals that have disability and to also educate uh, staff members and managers and you know whoever wants to learn more about disability to help them to understand that often all it takes is just some some small changes some reasonable adjustments for those individuals and yeah. they will be the loyalist people that on this planet when it comes to the workplace especially if they love the job, you know, they will be, and, and most healthcare professionals do love the work. Mm. They love patients and they want to do everything they can, but they need some help. So to be able to support them and to be able to support managers that really want to, to support their staff well, um, it's just a, it's a, it's a privilege. And it's, it's just been such an honour and it's, it's been a massive change for me since COVID the big COVID, mm -hmm. you know, um, my life changed completely. I've got a kidney transplant, therefore I was clinically extremely vulnerable. Of course, yes. Nobody had ever told me I was clinically extremely vulnerable before. So to be a healthcare professional and then have to stop at home and see my colleagues struggle in the way that they did was a challenge for me. Mm. But it also... It was a massive opportunity for me. I trained as a coach, a women's leadership coach. But by training as a coach and the work that I, I did as part of that has been absolutely transformational in the way I do the work that I do in being able to do the work that I do, because that's where the realisation of having never dealt with some of the issues of my earlier life, the loss, 
the lack of, I'd never grieved for that loss. And I know people may find that really odd to say grieving for a loss, not of a loved one, but of a life. But I took with me, by not grieving that loss at that time, I took with me the thought in my head, I had nothing to offer because I was ill. As bizarre as that may sound to people, I was a nurse. But when COVID hit, and prior to that, I didn't feel like I'd got anything other to offer than just being a nurse. By going through that transformation, and it was a transformation, it's still a transformation, of grieving, of taking the time to really think about what happened at that part of my life, the traumas, I would never have called, called my, my pregnancy a birth a trauma. But the reality was, and the reality is, it was a really traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah. But like so many of us, you just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and my, kind of when you've got a... a a tiny, you know, unwell baby, you you have to, don't you? <laughs> you don't have a choice. You don't, you really, I'm not sure. I think you can make the time at the time, if you're able to think about it this way, make the time to actually think about it. But actually, I don't think anybody even considers it. No. Until afterwards. Yeah, and that can be years and years down the down the line. I mean, certainly um, when my husband passed away, our daughter was six at the time, and you know, I I had to parent her. So you just get on with it, you know, as as you did. And it was only probably five. It was certainly five or six years before you know the the grief did catch up with me eventually. Um, but yeah, it was just you know I've, I've got a choice. I've I've got to I've got to be her parent. I've got to be both parents for her. Absolutely, no, absolutely. And there's you can't underestimate that. You know, you your absolute instincts kick in, mm. and that's right. And that's absolutely right. But having the the ability to when COVID hit, being able to stop because I had to because I had to stay at home. Um, I'd been considering what I was doing with my life and all I thought I had to offer was being able to retire with an ill health retirement pension which meant I had to be ill which meant that my transplant was failing and I was I was sort of wishing that on myself because I couldn't see that I got anything else as an option yeah and when I think about that now, and we're only talking three years ago, we're only talking mm -hmm. as COVID, COVID hit. So you're talking 20, 2018, 2019, where I was really seriously at that point where I need to do something, but I don't know what, and I've got nothing to offer. So when COVID did happen, and I had that opportunity to just stop and reevaluate, 
And, you know, me and my husband sat and talked in a way that we've not talked for probably ever, really, in so much detail uh, about just life, just, you know, what had gone on and what had happened and what we wanted for our futures. And that, again, was just absolutely fantastic to be able to do. Yeah, yeah. But by doing that, then, I found coaching. And with that coaching and that, and that time taking me back made me realise that, actually, I've got an awful lot to offer. Actually, my life experience gives me so much to offer. But I'm still getting used to that, you know. Mm. I have a degree in nursing because I'm I trained as a nurse in the days where we didn't get degrees, um, you know. And and I've I've realised I've lived my life telling myself I'm ill, therefore I cannot do this, and I don't have degrees. So who am I to to you know coach anybody, or who am I to to do anything other? because I'm just not able to do those things. I'm not clever enough. I don't have the those letters behind my name. And coaching was able to show you a different perspective on all of that. Completely different perspective. Mm. Completely different perspective. And that perspective took me then to coach. I didn't know who I wanted to coach. My 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 thoughts were always, you know, oncology. That's where I was. Wanted, and and I've always been, obviously, really interested in oncology. But there was, you know, I was also interested in in transplant patients, and I was I was interested in all sorts of things. And in my head, it was real. I was a real mix. You know, who do I, who who do I who do I my ideal clients to coach? And uh, I worked with the the wonderful um, Zara Price, who was absolutely and and a realization like you know that that flash of light, that light bulb, that dawning moment. Actually, I can look and coach all these people because they all have something in common. I have something in common with them, and that's where my passion for people that have disability and ill health, really took off. And then I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to apply for a post, which I actually got, which was this um, supporting staff that have disability. So it's, uh, I'm a differently abled buddy scheme project manager. So it's buddying people up to, uh, to support staff that are new to the NHS, to the new to our trust, um, buddying people up together that have disability just to, for them to support each other but the ripple effects of that have been absolutely massive yeah yeah I can imagine so from all of this experience that you gained you know not only through the periods of the ill health but sort of more more recently with the transformations that you've made through coaching what has been sort of the biggest lesson that you've that you've learned that you've taken away from all of this this there's, there's there's many in many ways and one of those things the stories we tell ourselves 
are so powerful. And we so, I know for me, I never recognised. I thought I was being, I, I thought I was being like, you know, really, you, you've got to, I, I've got a hang of the fact that I've got an Ill, uh, uh, a disability, I've got a transplant, it may fail. It, it's the way it is. And I got a real hang on it that I was, I was doing myself a favour by telling myself that I couldn't do things. Mm. And I really believe that I was doing the right thing. But to, to really think about that differently and actually realise that story I was telling myself had actually taught me that I couldn't do anything else, that I had nowhere to go, that I had nothing to offer. That's what I was telling myself. Once I was able to change that story, once I was able to say to myself, you know what, you've got so much to offer others. All those things, yes, have happened, but actually you, because of those things, have got so much to offer others. And people are begging for your help. The responses I get on a fairly weekly, monthly basis from work are, thank you for the support you've given me. Mm. I couldn't have done it without you. You know, and somebody spoke to me the other day and opened up about a situation that she's never spoke to anybody else about before. That's just, that just blew me away. Yeah. Well, I've, I've put myself in that situation now of being able to support staff members and to coach because I had the courage to say, that story is not true, Angela. Yes, I have a kidney transplant. That isn't going to change. But that kidney transplant does not define me. Whatever condition that you have Whatever's happening on you, in your life does not define you. That was very, very, very powerful. Yeah, massively powerful. I'm just sitting here and that's actually kind of giving me goosebumps, actually. That's, um, I will certainly go away and, uh, and reflect on everything that you've, that you've said and that you've, that you've shared about that oh gosh Angela thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of that and you know particularly that powerful wisdom at the end you know and I, I really think that there will be a lot of people listening to this who will massively benefit from this conversation in in terms of maybe just thinking where they can have a, a change in perspective perhaps so if somebody was interested in um, talking with you or finding out more about what you do yeah. how could what would be the best way to get in contact with you um dropping me an email is probably the best way um i don't have a website for my coaching 
Um, it's just purely by word of mouth. And uh, so it, it is drop me an email. I, I'm more than happy to have a conversation about coaching or if somebody just, you know, wanted a conversation about transplantation or just wanted a chat, I'm more than happy to do that as well. So if they want to drop me an, e uh, um, an email as Angela.peak, and it's P-E-A-K-E, -E, 010 at gmail.com. Oh, perfect. And I'll make sure that that goes in the episode notes so uh, so people can um, get that email address for you. Oh, thank you so much for coming on today, Angela. Really, really loved this conversation and you know, wish you all the best in your in both your coaching and your your new role in uh, supporting your healthcare professionals. You know, you're going to make yeah, you already are, and you're going to continue to make such a difference to uh, to their working lives. That's Keep up the great work. It's been lovely to speak to you today, Rachel, and I, I just it's just been a, a privilege to speak to you because it's it's lovely to to um, to get such a positive story out there about transplantation. Well, Angela, it's a privilege to share your story. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. And we didn't even touch your experience with breast cancer. I think a part two might come. Details of how to contact Angela are in the episode notes. I'd like to thank everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. I'll be back soon with another lesson from loss.